Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. All right, we're starting a new series today. It's called With. Uh, it's actually just a two-part series, so another one of the, the little short ones, um, which we've been doing a lot lately, no reason, just kind of how it worked out. But two parts uh, called, again, uh, With. And it's actually based, sort of kind of loosely based, on a book called With, written by uh, Sky Jathani. It's a really, it's a really good book. Um, and the premise of this kind of two-part series is the same as the premise of the book, but I'm actually taking a, a pretty different approach. So it's more like, this isn't a book study, right? I'm not doing a book report. Uh, this is more like, we're going to try to hit the highlights here, make sure uh, we get the premise, but then the book is going to take the ideas I'm, I'm going to sort of present in the next week or two and take them way, way further and hit them from entirely different angles and just really be... so. So I'll have to say, if you were even remotely intrigued by this sermon series, again, this week and next, then you could pick up the book. It's in the lobby, uh, 12 bucks each, I think. Yeah, um, you can pick it up in the lobby right at the info station, your back left as you exit. And uh, yeah, just 12 bucks a pop. It's a really good book. So there's, there's that. Now, the book takes, um, uh, it talks about four different postures that we might tend to have for how we relate to God, how we think of God, our disposition toward him. And so it takes those four kind of default postures and then it offers a fifth as a like way more biblical option, a better approach. And so as you're going to see, it's a super simple concept. Uh, we'll look at two of those postures this week, two next week. Uh, it's a really simple approach. Uh, you'll, you'll get it. But there is a difficult challenge here. The challenge here is for you to be honest, for you to be self-aware and try to answer the question, okay, what about these kind of erroneous um, postures toward the Lord um, am I drawn to? You know, like might I lapse into or have I lapsed into one of these postures to one degree or another? So again, the concept is super simple, but if we're doing it right, it ain't easy because you got to look at yourself and you got to be um, introspective and, and maybe be willing to see something new. All right, so uh, let's jump in. Actually, before I do one little sidebar here, um, all the illustrations that I have this week and next week for this, you know, little two-part series, all of them are in some way food-related. And I don't know how that happened or, or I don't, I hope you have breakfast. Otherwise this could be, you could get uncomfortable as we chat. Um, I don't know why that it's probably because, probably because I was fasting when I wrote this sermon series, actually, <laughs> that's not true. I wasn't fasting, but I don't know why it happened, but it did. Uh, so anyway, there's that. So here's the first of those. As I understand it, which as I understand it, isn't be clear, not very well, but as I understand it, our bodies operate on three um, primary fuel types, all right, um, which are proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. You may have heard these called uh, macronutrients. Anyway, and our bodies are flexible enough so that we can use any of those three macronutrients as our primary 
fuel source. And then uh, if we eat in certain ways, we do certain stuff, we can actually move that around and shift our bodies such that, you know, it's running on one fuel type versus the other. So um, you may have heard of uh, the keto diet or the ketogenic diet. If you have, you've probably heard too much about it because when people do it, they talk about it too much and they're not typically self-aware about it. It's like them and the CrossFit people. It's like, all right, enough. Um, but <laughs> so if you've heard about it, you're like, oh boy. But still, um, it's, a, it's a way of eating that intentionally shifts your body's primary fuel source to fat instead of carbohydrates which is the default for most Americans. Okay. Um, so, and by the way, I, to be clear, I have absolutely no nutritional advice for anybody today. Okay. I don't have expertise. I have no credibility. I don't give a rip how you eat. I mean, I care about you. All right. Eat what Norma eats that like live to a hundred. I, that's, I care about that. Okay. But I'm not trying to, so don't, you know, I don't want you to be like, Hey, how was church? It's like, Bacon, bacon, yes, that's what I was hoping for. I love that, that's a great answer. Uh, so anyway, no nutritional advice. I don't want you to go home and be like, well, what, how was church? It's like, I don't know, Aaron said we can't eat carbs, so no, not even a little bit. But I just think it's fascinating that our bodies can shift from one fuel source to another. That's fascinating, like a car that could run on gas or electric or diesel, like that's amazing. All right, why am I talking about this? Good question. Um, I'm hoping that you will, this week and next, seriously evaluate what spiritual fuel you're running on. Because not all spiritual fuel is created equal. Like, I'm really glad you're at church today. Welcome to church. I'm glad you're here today. What fuel did you burn to get here, though? Like, why are you here? Where'd you find the juice for that, you know? What spiritual fuel are you, are you burning? I, I could ask the same thing about your work, for example. Like, I, why do you do good work? I'm assuming you do good work if you work. Um, it, is it because you're passionate about it? And you like connect it to a larger sense of purpose? If so, that's really, really great. Or is it because you're afraid of your boss and you're terrified of being destitute and you feel stuck and you don't really have any other options, so you're gonna do that, okay? Those are very different fuel sources and they can both get the job done. You can work and do good work based on those motivations. It's just that one is really life-giving and the other one will drive you to an early grave. So the fuel source matters is what I'm saying. And so I'm asking what's, what spiritual fuel are you running on? Because just like in our bodies, there's all these sort of cascading impacts based on what fuel we use as primary. And that's kind of what the, the book is zeroing in on. So I said there are, there are four main postures. Again, we'll look at two today and two next week. But the, the first posture or sort of disposition approach to God is the life over God posture. So we're going to think about that together. Life over God. Um, uh, picture, a, picture a buffet, like a big buffet, like the, like the Golden Corral. Okay. You guys been there? Uh, true story, yesterday we were in Sevierville and uh, had some time that we didn't expect to have and I was with Sharon and I, was, I saw the Golden Corral and I said, Sharon, let's go to the Golden Corral and she said, no. And I said, come on, come on, come on. I was like, true, like seriously, Sharon, 
I'm talking about the Golden Corral in a sermon tomorrow. I'm bound to get a story out of this. Come with me to the Golden Corral. No. I was like, you won't do it for Jesus? She's like, I won't do it for Jesus. I'm not going to the Golden Corral. Tell them that. There's your story. So there's the story. Sharon wouldn't go to Golden Corral for me. And I get it. Um, I, but in a way, I'm kind of impressed with the Golden Corral. Any buffet that survives the pandemic, like good on them. Like, uh, that's kind of impressive. And if you think about it, just picture going to one of those big buffets and you go to the buffet, you got your plate and then you, uh, you, they have this glass that you face. You look through the glass to see your food. I heard someone refer to that as a sneeze guard. And I was like, I'm out. <laughs> like that's, that's what did it for me. Okay. But I know, so maybe that's not a super common thing, but never, nevertheless, um, play along, picture, picture that you just have this massive spread of food, food out in front of you. You have all the options you could want and you can pick and choose what you want and you can leave what you don't want, okay? The life over God posture is like that. You pick what you want from what God is offering based on, you know, what you like, what seems the most palatable and what you think will work the best, you know? So just like, you know, it's a religious pursuit that's a lot like going to a buffet where you go, you know, I really like this and not so much that. And I like that Jesus said that and I'll take two heapings of that. I'm actually pretty offended when he said this, so I'm not going to, we'll skip that. And that's kind of the heart of the life over God posture, just like you stand over a buffet and decide what you're going to pick. And uh, this is the posture, um, because people don't do that very often with like full awareness of doing that, okay, because we kind of know better. But this is the posture that, that looks to God mostly for principles, um, like um, pro tips <laughs> that we believe can and will serve us well. So I'm going to, I'm going to get this. Um, and to be clear, that's not entirely wrong. The way of Jesus is a better way to be human. And there are really helpful principles in scripture. And Jesus gives good advice. That's true. Going his way works. That's true. Like you could take the, the, the wisdom of Proverbs and a person could apply that wisdom and with few exceptions, it would work well for them. So like these are good principles to live by. I'm not saying that's not the case. But the life over God Posture is considered over God because it treats God as a means to an end. God is a, a good way to get what we want, which is our own, you know, our well-being, and I need to be forgiven, and I need redemption, and I'd really like to have a good and fruitful life, and, and so I'm going to try to do the things that I believe serve that end. But that leaves us, I think you can see it, that leaves us as ultimate, right? That puts me, the focus, me at the center um, that puts me as over because it's still about, about me. It's a result. It's a results oriented approach or posture to the Lord. This is Jesus's guru. This is Jesus's life coach. But the fact is, and think about this, someone could choose like all sorts of good advice and wisdom and life principles from the buffet of scripture. And they could also from that reap all these benefits and they could do all of that without having a single drop of affection for Jesus. And my son and I are studying uh, Proverbs together. I was thinking about this yesterday as we were kind of talking through it. I was like, you know what? This is really great advice. People who have no affection for Jesus, no submission to Jesus, could absolutely benefit from this advice. 
That would be the life over God approach, guys. Like Gandhi was also wise. I, I could follow him and probably get a few life upgrades. Yoda too, you know, he was sharp. You know? So as I've said many, many times, it is rational for us to trust God. Like it makes sense. Because he loves us enough to die for us, so clearly he's got our best interest in mind, and he knows everything, right? If that, that's, that's why I trusted my parents growing up. I'm like, well, they clearly love me, and they know stuff, and I don't. I should trust them, okay? Take that times infinity. That's our, how we can relate to the Lord. He knows everything, and he loves us enough to die for us. So just, it's just rational. It would be dumb to not do what he says. But you can come to that conclusion for that reason, in search of a better life, get that better life, and still not love Jesus and not exalt him as your king at all. You see? Okay, that's life over God. Now, in, in contrast to life over God is the life under God posture, which, especially for a room full of church folks, um, seems better but it's not, okay? Um, again, uh, life over God is the buffet. You pick what you want, you leave what you don't, you just do what works. The life under God mentality is more like a cookbook, okay? Here are the instructions. Do as they say. If you follow the directions well and you use all the right ingredients, you will end up with the desired results. So it's just you and the rules, man. It's just you and the rules. And people both love and hate that. And they both love and hate that approach for the same reason. And the reason is because there's a very clear cause and effect. And that's it's clear. It could be helpfully clear or painfully clear. Um, so you do as you're told, you follow the instructions, you use the right ingredients, and if you get a good meal, you get good results, then you did well. And if you don't, and somewhere along the way, at one of the steps along the process, you screwed up somewhere, all right? Um, with this disposition, we see God as lawgiver, we see God as judge, right? It's making sure you get it right. And by the way, um, that's accurate. God is lawgiver and he is judge. And he does give us instructions for life like a cookbook does. Sure. But when your primary disposition, your approach to God, your posture toward him is life under God, then you become, you become a human doing instead of a human being. You get caught into, into this mindset. It's like, I'm trying to live this thing out and I'm going to execute well or I'll just have to pay the price. And... If you relate to God this way, no matter how much you love him, you will come to see him as a cruel taskmaster. I don't see there's any way around it. Because you'll never be good enough to control all your outcomes and to regulate your fear, which is why we're doing it. You'll never do it well enough for that, and you know it. Or, because bad stuff's going to always happen, no matter how, how well you do. Or, here's, this is, this is the hardest, I think, outcome. And this is what gets a lot of people who are in the life under God mentality. Um, 
Here's what happened. One day they'll just, they'll follow the instructions like to a T, like perfect. Give me the chef's hat. I look like I nailed it, okay? Perfect execution. But then you won't get the result that you feel you've been promised. Yeah. So for example, you will raise a child in the way that they should go, but when they're grown, they do depart from it. Or you're the righteous and you're left begging for bread. If you're a church kid, you'll know those references. If not, it's okay. Where you got this difficult situation and you're like, okay, I'm going to manage this, this like gnarly relationship dynamic. And I'm going to, I'm going to Jesus this situation's face off. I am going to handle this with so much of the fruit of the spirit, so much love, so much kindness, so much graciousness that this person will have no choice but to reconcile with me. And you'll do it. And they won't reconcile with you. And somehow they hate you for it. And so what happens is the life under God posture leaves you with no choice but to conclude, especially when you nail it, to conclude that God's just not keeping up his end of the deal. You're like, wait a minute, I followed the instructions. All right, the Bible was my cookbook. Okay, but what came out of the oven doesn't look like anything on the picture. Doesn't look anything like that. So what we've got to see, and don't miss this, we've got to see is that the life under God posture, just like life over God, life under God posture is just another attempt to control God. It's just another way to regulate our fear by putting God into our debt. See, when you talk about life under God posture, the, the kind of default thought that people have is like, well, yeah, God's like this puppet master, you know, and you got to do everything that he says. And if not, everything backfires and he gives you the instructions and you better follow him. And he's like this big divine puppet master trying to make everything the way he wants it to be. But in reality, living the life under God posture is our way of trying to puppet master him. If I do this, if I follow well, if I check these boxes, if I get the instructions correct, then you must do this in return. And I will get this in return. It's not him puppet mastering us. It's us trying to puppet master him. And even though we know better, we still fall for it because it's very sneaky. It's very subtle. It's very easy to fall for. And you know you have fallen for it when you're angry with God because you were good, but the outcome wasn't. That's the result of life under God. And the life under God posture leaves you crushed always. And here's this other thing that happens. We should probably name it. Sadly, it often feels like churches and pastor types like me and church folks like us, they're actually trying to get people to move from the life over God posture to the life under God posture. Like, hey, this is better. Do this. And that's actually, that's actually pretty sad because the life under God posture is often set up by well-intended people as the goal. Like, this is what we want for you, man. Sin less, obey more, run the plays. Okay. And then all of this is sort of held up as a contrast to the life over God posture. 
But here's the thing, is what I want you to see. The life over God posture, the life under God posture, they're pretty much the same thing. They're both attempts to control God. They're both attempts to control outcomes. They're both fueled by fear. One picks and chooses to get the desired results. The other one plugs in a formula to get the desired results. It's not, it's not really any different. All right. The good news is, believe it or not, the invitation that we have been given from our king is not to the life over God posture. It is not to life under God. The invitation is to life with God. The invitation from the Lord to you is life with him. So picture it. Come on, play along. It's not a buffet. It's not a cookbook. It's King Jesus in your kitchen. Come on, picture it. King Jesus in your kitchen. Smile on his face as you walk in saying, hey, let's, let's make something together. Let's do something together. Okay, stay with me. A couple more minutes. The opening scene of the Bible, all right? Very beginning. Um, it talks about human beings being given dominion over the earth, uh, or, or rule, or reign over the earth, and then being placed in this dynamic partnership with their maker, this partnership with God, that together they would subdue the world, they would culturate the world, um, and they would collaborate for the thriving of all creation. Okay? And then in the evenings, God would walk with them in the cool of the garden. The picture, and it's very vivid, the picture from the very beginning, scene one, is God with us. Life with God, with us in mission, with us in relationship, with us in purpose, with us in friendship. That's the first scene in the Bible. And, not a coincidence, the last scene in the Bible, remarkably similar. I'll read you a couple verses, uh, Revelation 21, verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. That's the consummation of all things. That's God putting it the way he wants it. How does he want it? With you. That's how he wants it. In the very last chapter in the Bible, chapter 22 of Revelation, verse 5, and there will be no night there, no need for lamps or suns, for the Lord will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. The story ends the way the story begins. Life with God, partnering together, reigning as servants together. Life with God, that's the picture at the beginning, it's the picture at the end. Let's read a quote from Sky Jathani who wrote the book. Um, if the Bible were the script for a play, both the opening scene and the final act of this drama would focus on God's desire to live and rule with his people. This impulse carries the drama from beginning to end. And yet, the call to a life of intimate communion with God is largely absent today. It's as if we entered the theater late and left before the final curtain. Our posture toward God is not to stand over him taking what we want or to 
to cower underneath him, trying to manipulate him with our good behavior or checking the right boxes. It's not over. It's not under. The call is to be with him, to partner with him. That's the beauty from which we fell. That is the beauty to which we are being restored. I hope you can see it. Now, the hard part. You ready? Let's evaluate. Think about these dispositions. Which ones you might default to? Which might be a stumbling block for you to fall into? Which posture do you tend to the most? Um, I'll go first. Uh, and I, it's not going to be hard because it's really, frankly, pretty easy for me to see times I've been wrapped up in both. There's been plenty of times. I'm not exempt from any of this. First, the, the life over God posture. That's the let's go to the buffet of principles and best practices that we think will serve us well and choose from that. Um, I hate to admit it, but that really appeals to me. It does. Um, I am a, I'm, I'm a driven person. I'm an outcome-based personality. I want results. I want results. And I want to see the impact of the things that I do. I want it to work. I want to know that it works. And so the appeal of the Bible as like a book with useful tools and techniques and life hacks and pro tips, that's actually a strong appeal for me. I, I find myself studying the Bible sometimes not to enhance my life with God, but just to enhance my life, which is fine. It's fine. It works for that. And that's, it's fine to do it that way. But when that's the default approach, it's really easy to lose the plot. And if it doesn't work, you get mad at the Lord. And if it does, then the, the lie gets perpetuated. Um, several years ago, it was probably, I don't know, six or eight years ago, something like that. Um, I developed a pretty strong fascination with, with like business books and business strategy books. I was just consuming them like, like crazy. And there's lots of them out there, and I was just go, 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 go. I loved them. Um, and which, by the way, that's not at all bad. I still read business books sometimes. If you have a really good one, recommend it to me. I've probably already read it, but bring it on. That'd be great. But at some point, I caught myself, or probably the Lord highlighted something, which is that I was looking at Scripture, but I was trying to look beyond Scripture for something for something more practical, you know, something more directly applicable than what I felt I could find in the Bible. To laugh because that's a ridiculous thing to think. It was if I had already just squeezed out all the utility I could from Scripture, which is a full-on ludicrous notion. But it had like worked into my head in some measure, in my heart in some measure. And even while reading the Bible, I would find myself looking first and foremost for like leadership principles and business strategies instead of what Paul called the surpassing joy of knowing Christ. See the difference? And it's not that you can't find that stuff in the Bible. You can. You could run a whole business school using nothing but the Bible as your text, as your curriculum, and it would be a really good school, right? It's not a bad idea, actually. Somebody might take that and run with it. It'd be great. But that's not what the Bible is. It's not a business school curriculum. It's a love letter to creation and a kind, persistent invitation to life with God. 
So I get the life over God posture. Um, that said, I, un- I understand the life under God posture too. It gets me sometimes. Um, one time that stands out, this is, a long, this is about 15 years ago, actually, if I'm remembering correctly. I was at a staff meeting and I asked for prayer. And it was a very standard staff meeting prayer request. I just want to pray that I grow spiritually, something vague like that. And um, the staff started praying for me and I lost it. Like, I just came on, like, holy snot, man. Like, just tears and mess and, like, convulsing, weeping. Like, if you saw that happening on the side of the road, you'd be like, honey, let's walk on the other side of the road and get away from that guy. Like, he's not okay. Like, I mean, full on. Like, and then the staff was like, what is this? And I was like, good question. What is this? I don't know. What is happening right now? And then they started to ask questions, and I started to reflect, and the Spirit started to speak, and I was reminded of a time not too long before that where a friend of mine, a really good man, a mentor of mine, he had said to me, he said, Aaron, um, really the next stage of growth, spiritual growth in the life of your church, it's on you. Like you can't lead people where you haven't been. So you got to be going there yourself. And the thing is, it's actually, it's actually pretty good advice. You know, I might have tweaked it a little bit, but like that's, that's fine. But what I turned that into, the lie that I believed out of that is like, Aaron, if you're not growing spiritually every second of every day, then the church will suffer as a direct result of your failure. And that is the heart of the life under God mentality. Like if I don't follow the cookbook perfectly and get every instruction right, then I'm going to ruin the meal. And for me, it was like, oh, it's not just a meal for me. It's for the whole church. I'm going to ruin it for me and for all these other people and for whatever God might have around the corner as well. And I can't keep up and I'm not doing it right. And just, oh, this weight just crushed me. You know, and then I'd go to a conference and they'd be like 10 more great ideas, all of them biblical, all of them good. I'm not doing any of them. I'm like, the recipe keeps changing. What's my move here? I was crumbling. I didn't even know it until it, until it all came out at once. Under the weight of life under God. Get it right or else. Which means if you don't absolutely nail it every time, you will end up hating God or hating yourself or both. Does that make sense? So I wonder if you could imagine in your own mind a tendency where you might lean one way uh, or the other. Okay, that's enough for me. Um, let me invite you to stand for prayer. I just want to, one more idea here as we start to wrap up and encourage you to sort of move to a, if you haven't already, sort of a mode of just self-reflection. And just like me in both of those instances that I shared, um, the Lord sort of elbowed in, you know, there was no lightning strikes, no audible voices, but the Lord elbowed in and put his finger right on something for me. I think he might do that for us now. Just, I just want to acknowledge before we shift totally into that, though, that maybe the hardest part of accepting that life with God is the correct disposition. Maybe the hardest part of that is just believing that that's the actual invitation. Because it, it makes sense to me why that would be what I would want and why we would go, well, that's actually, a, that's a lovely invitation. That's, that's wonderful. What doesn't really make a ton of sense is why he would want that. Like, why would, and so we go, I'm, I don't know, I'm me, I'm kind of a mess. I love God, sometimes I avoid him because I'm like, ooh, I don't want to deal with, you know? And so we might have a hard time embracing the fact that that's 
actually what he wants. Just say it as simply as I, I, it doesn't always make sense. I can't say, and here's why God wants this. I don't get it. But you know what? Love does funny things. And look at me. God loves you. God loves you. And just like any, anyone you love, you want to be with them. Let me read you a few verses from Scripture. Romans 5, 6 to 11. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right moment and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an for, uh, would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, which is probably not us, right? But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I mean, I don't know how much you believe that God wants to be with you. I know that I, I all the way believe it and I also need to believe it more. <laughs> so let's ask the Lord even now to help us believe it a bit more or maybe a lot more. And then let's just, in, let's take a posture of prayer now. If you want to hit the vineyard pose, <laughs> that'd be great. Lord, would you begin to speak to us? You give us clarity right now. If to one degree or another, we've just defaulted to this sort of this disposition to you or we're doing the life over God. We're just trying to figure out what works. It's about utility and it's not about relationship. Lord, you're kind enough to give us great advice and bring utility, <laughs> fruitfulness into our life. But in the end, it's not what you want. And in the end, whether we realize it or not, it's not what we want either. We are created for fellowship with you. And if that's our disposition, would you help us to hear your kind invitation saying, actually, let's, let's do something better. Let's, let's do it together. I'll give you some techniques for life if that's what you want, but what I want is to be with you and walk with you. Help us to, help us to hear that. And Lord, if we've sort of fallen into the, the life under God posture, would you help us to see that now? Would you bring clarity into it? We're, act, we're trying to maybe turn the religious dials in such a way. We're trying to plug in the right formula. Or we're, we're trying to just be good enough to clean up the mess. And, and we might see our own good behavior as the solution to our problems. And, hey, man. Good behavior helps. But in the end, what we're longing for, what we actually need, what will actually bring growth and healing is to be with you. Life with you. Intimacy, friendship. And that's what you've invited us into. Not rules for the sake of keeping rules, but a lifestyle that is an overflow 
of being with you. So Lord, would you help us to hear your actual invitation, which is not to send management. The actual invitation is to, to spend life with you. Help us, again, help us believe that that's actually what you want. So Holy Spirit, come help us hear your invitation. Amen.